This is George Skivington. You're listening to the Cherry Jam podcast. Welcome to episode 18 of series four of Cherry Jam. We all know you've been looking forward to this one. Uh, it's myself, Ed Price, Lawrence Landre, and Jim Harley. Um, and this pod is going to be all about the Gloucester Saracens game uh, on Friday night. Uh, we're recording this on a Sunday. Um, and um, the first part of the pod is just going to solely talk about the game itself. And we're going to avoid, or try to at least avoid, uh, the all of the... Um, drama and uh, issues that we'll come on to in the second part of the pod. Right. Gloucester lost the Saracens. The final kick of the game uh, dropped goal uh, from 40-odd yards from Owen Farrell, which, you know, fair play to him. It was a hell of a drop goal. Impressive kick in the wind and the conditions that, that were being played in. Um, And I think, Loz, Jim, you'd probably argue that Overall, um, Gloucester, that's one of Gloucester's better, more controlled performances of the season. Unfortunately, unlike last week, we've come out on the wrong end of it. Jim, your initial thoughts, again, as much as you possibly can, Jim, (laughs) stick into Um, the game itself. Before the game, I thought it's going to be a tough day at the office. Mm. Um, And kind of at, what, 10 minutes in? when Saracens had finished their initial 100-mile-an-hour assault on our try line, as they always do in every game. They start incredibly well. Um, and I thought, yeah, our defence is looking good. And I actually um, said to the guys around me, I think um, Saracens' defence probably isn't as good as London Irish. And um, And actually, I think we had a little bit more attacking flair. We definitely kicked the ball a huge amount less. Um, we played with ball in hand. Um, Ackerman does what Ackerman does. And actually, even though he seems to... In fact, our entire back line, any, any ball carrier seems to be catching the ball standing still. Yeah. And yet they still managed to go forward a bit. Um, so, yeah, I thought after the first 20 minutes, I thought this is going to be a really, really good game. Um, and at halftime, I started getting a bit emotional, I'll be honest. Um, I thought, geez. We're, we're doing all right here. This is, this is um, you know, a, a team that are that far at the top of the table and we're toe-to-toe with them. And I started having all sorts of f- fantastic expectations of uh, Twickenham victories and such like. But <laughs> uh, that's because I'm an idiot. Yeah, well, well, you know, there's still that to come, Jim. You know, I mean, that's the one thing about this league is that um, other results this weekend have meant that we're still fourth. Um, and... Um, very much within in with a shout of uh, of of playoffs and the rest of it. Now, well, we also thought we were fifth behind Exeter. No, I think we're fourth, mate. From what I saw earlier, uh, I, I will be be happy to uh, be corrected, but I was pretty sure we were fourth. Yeah, we are still fourth, one point ahead of Exeter. Uh, <laughs> played played everyone apart from Bath and Bristol played the same amount of games. Um, yeah, so we they, all... can play, they can play loads more than that. They? Yeah, 
the Exeter, the one I'm looking at, Exeter got 30 points the same as us. No, we've got 31 according to, B- according to BBC. We've got 31. <laughs> now, again, BBC, <laughs> you've no idea. Anyway, right. So, ignoring all of that, right. Someone let's check just, Premier League. <laughs> yeah, let's all move on to uh, Loz. I mean, funny enough, I I was, I mean, quite rightly, I think actually. Yeah, you kind of took you, you teased me a little bit and saying that you know was I drinking was I on the was I on the bleach or was I I'd given up yeah. on dry January? But I was very confident. I don't know why I had this feeling that um, actually we seem to have got in a weird way we seem to have Saracens number to a point. The style of rugby we're playing, we keep although we've we've lost the last couple, but we do seem to always raise our game against them. And well, the one thing I did think before the game was that I thought, well, our front row and our scrum would have superiority. And remarkably, for someone who used to play on the wing, we did. Now, Loz, your view on the scrum, the forwards, the pack generally? Yeah, I think that all went quite well. Um, the line eight was frustrating. But then yeah. where I was sat, not far from where you were, but near the front, um, I was practically on the five-metre line at the... Um, uh, Worcester Street end, and we had we had a lot. For example, one line out that all game, the ref didn't worry about uh, keeping the one meter gap down the middle, and that was the same for both. In yeah. all fairness, in his defence, he was consistent because it was the same. Gloucester closed the gap as much as Saracens did, but you really get there. I don't normally sit down in that position, but that was where my tickets was, and um, it was quite interesting because. You really saw Maro Tojo you doing the the the, the line out dark art. So um, we'd go up for the ball at, at the front, and he'd be there, and he'd push the arm of the lifter, not enough to push him out the line, but yeah. knock his hand away. Even though you're not allowed to touch the person, you know you can't. He can only go for the ball. He knocks it. The the, the um, I think it was Ludlow's arm out the way, which means that Ludlow misses the ball, and then. Either he, I can't remember whether he caught it or it went over the top and someone else caught it behind. And it was just subtle, subtle things like that. Which yeah. The touch should probably should see, but they don't ever get involved on things like that. But it was quite interesting from that point of view. Yeah, the line the, the, the scrummaging went quite well. There was a couple of times we had a good shove on on them, mm. um, which I think I said to you, I, I expected that as well when you said about yeah. the front rows um, in our group chat. I know Russ gave you a, a load of stick for it being on the wing when you played rather than uh, in the front row but I, I felt the same because I don't think Mako's a very good scrummager no. um, I think that's the very very much the weak part of his game um, and certainly seeing that Val was playing I felt to this and Kirill if nothing else he hold, holds up his side even if he isn't a, a dominant tight head mm. he certainly holds up his side so I felt to Val to get hold of there their tight head and we could get some uh, control up front and we certainly seem to have that for quite a while Yeah. Um, during the game um, carrying wise we we carried a couple of times from deep but uh, what I mean by that is players running onto the ball but not much as you said mm-hmm. tends to be a lot of standing still so and against Saracens if ever I know there's a danger at the risk and if you're too deep you're running onto the ball you're going to lose territory potentially if you don't break the line yeah. but Saracens lead, are, like all professional rugby teams when it comes to defence are right on the edge of offside um, that goes for everyone by the way because that's how they're coached and with that you always feel as though if you 
I think Gloucester got flatter and flatter because they were worried about yeah. losing ground if they didn't break the tackle. Of course, with Arbert not playing, we lacked one of our ball carriers, although I thought Ben Morgan carried very well. To, he was unlucky not to get over the line right in the early, uh, the first half from the back of a scrub. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you can't, the trouble is you go, oh, we got Arbert, or we got Ruin, or we got um, Ben. We don't, we don't seem to have carrier after carrier after carrier. I know Ben and Ruin were playing together, but they weren't working together as in running onto the ball. You play some teams, uh, or, or Saracens are a great one. Billy Villapona takes it up and smashes through a couple of players. Might not necessarily make it through, but he goes forward and takes the tackle on his terms, places the ball beyond the tacklers. Those players are immediately out of the game. Couple of players rucking. Next thing you know, bang! It's popped to Ben Earl, and he yeah. goes and he runs like an absolute rocket. And he's a lot bigger a player than what he actually looks compared to some of the players. You know, he's no Billy Bonapola weight wise and size wise, but he then carries it, and he he's a hell of a difficult tackle as well. And he gets over the line, over the game line as well. We never seem to be able to do that phase after. You know, it, it's never that bang in goes Albert. Next thing you know, bang, Ruins doing the same. It just doesn't seem to happen with us. I know we got to, we're we're at the early stage of our evolution, and they they they've evolved their game into something as almost complete as you can possibly get from that. What we were boring box kit chase rolling mall is what you know uh, we yeah. called it boring when they did it all those years ago. But they have a more all round game now. But the big fear, just to finish off, the big fear for me. Where, when you got a game based around the rolling mall, it's just the line ain't working. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you've got a problem. And so, the other thing I'd like to say is, well, we made too many silly errors. There are times where um, unforced errors. Yeah, we pass we pass the ball a couple of times into players' bodies, one into the back of one player, I think, instead of, and that that wasn't under pressure either. That was just not thinking clearly under. Uh, uh, sorry, not just staying calm when having the ball and just trying to force the issue too much. Yeah, agreed. Um, Jim, I'll come back to you in a second. Just a, a thought on the um, the uh, Saracens start, which you referenced specifically the fact, and then kind of goes into Loz's point about the you know Munipola, then Earl, then whoever coming out through. And but I did notice there did seem to be a bit of a change tactically from Gloucester in, after the first 10-15 minutes, which was the first certainly first ten minutes when Sarri scored their try. Um, Malin scored in the corner. Um, we weren't competing at the rucks at all, really. I mean, there might be one player just kind of tries to get over the ball, but that's it. I mean, it wasn't. It, yeah, it, I think I think our back rows kind of step off, and it, that's where Val Val isn't a back row, so no. gets the chance to maybe have a go sometimes. But it was it was after that first ten minutes we did seem to change and actually go. Look, we're going to have to compete, guys, because we're going to get no, we're going to get murdered here. We let them just yeah. run through all the time. Our defense yeah, has been good, but it's not going to be that good. Yeah, their ball's too fast if you don't compete at all, and yeah. you know that you're not going to compete. So, yeah, um, and, and and fair play to Saracens. That first try from Malins was a really, really well worked try. Really well, well worked try. I mean, I I don't know. Did he make the line? I thought he did. I mean, my instant reaction when I saw the replay on the big screen was that that was a try. Um, and and you know they they did look at it, so you can't really argue too much. I think he doesn't lose control, does he? No. He's tackled short. He he instantly reaches out. It's questionable whether the ball's on the line there or not, and mm. doesn't lose control for when the ball rolls forward. That's not a knock on because he hasn't lost control of the no. ball, and it definitely then does make the line. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 
just yes, just I mean, it yes. Was it was touch and go. Touch. Very, very unlucky, Harris. The, you know, Harris did really well to get back around and, and, and made it sound cool. Um, the um, so that moving on. So one last thing on that. Yeah. Sorry, one last thing. I always look at those situations as to try to try and keep it impartial. Would I be upset if we hadn't been awarded the try in that yeah. circumstance? And I would have been positively fuming if we hadn't been. Yeah, I, I think that, that's that's how well, I view it as well. Also, from my point of view, being someone that wasn't watching on TV and having eighty-five different camera angles to look at mm. on the on the big screen. We only, well, got the, we only got the one angle or two angles that didn't actually show the ball on the line. And and as much as we can all look at each other and go, well, Oddnett's in the TMO booth and there's no way she'd have given that if it hadn't touched the line. But mm. I still want to see it myself. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. yeah. yeah it all depends on the question. If Dicko's turned around and said, is there any reason I can't award the try? No, well, no, no. But there was no reason he couldn't award that try because there's no clear proof that it hasn't made the line. No, no, that's true. But, you know, there's there's going to be camera angles. But it's, I mean, as I'm saying to the people around me in the shed, every try gets checked. I've got my friend with a ref link on and she'll just say, yep, everything's okay. Or, oh, the, you know, there's a penalty advantage and explain what the penalty is for maybe if we don't see the hand signals. Mm. Um, and so you get the you know, everything's okay. You know, the all clear kind of s- signal from the TMO, probably while the kicker's about to place the kick because now they can take the kick in and they can go back afterwards anyway. But yeah, I would have just, it would have just calmed me down a little bit in that in that moment if I'd have just seen the camera angle from above, just with the ball, you know, touching touching some white plastic. That's all that's all yeah. I want to see. I understand. I know. Um, moving on to Gloucester and the way that we sort of came back in that first half, um, the obviously we had the try disallowed uh, from the rolling ball. Um, it's a difficult one to argue against because technically it was the right decision. It was a clear double movement on the on the throw by George McGuigan. Um, it, I think it's probably the first oh. time I've seen. It's probably the first time I've seen someone. Then have if that, that was a top. double movement. Then Luke Cowan Dickey has never thrown a legal line out. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing, Oz. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I think you can. You, when I when it came up on the big screen, it was clear that it was a double movement. Yeah. And I like, it, it okay, was, that's well, why they're going to have to try. But it's a double movement. I would liken it to some of these idiot penalty takers that that run up, stop, but don't actually stop, and they're still moving forward. And then they take a step, and then they kick it in whichever corner because they're waiting for the. Uh, the keeper to go. It's like he didn't recock. He went forward, stopped, and then carried on going forward. I, he went, I didn't think he went past his head. No. no so he he came forward. Which a lot of them they do. A lot of them do that, and then I, I don't know why I'm doing this on screen because no one listens to this podcast. Yeah, your your demonstration, Loz, was exactly exactly as I how, it. Yeah. exactly agreed. Yeah. So um, if everyone is I, listening, Loz did it right. I'm not convinced that McGuigan kind of came forward. I'm doing it mm. now, and then went back and then through. I think no, he came I... forward, stopped, and then through. Which I think isn't it? You're not allowed technically to technically is still a double movement. Yeah, you're not allowed but... to dummy, are you? And I think that's the problem. I mean, and it can be perceived as that. I think and my Atoji, bigger issue. Atoji was in the air for about an hour, wasn't he? Waiting for yeah. the throw. That's kind I, of I highlighting the, it. The, the biggest, the biggest issue is, I think it's the first time I've seen a try awarded. And then brought back for that, um, 
I, I no problem at all if they award it immediately. You know, when you got the, the touch judge stood there, the ref is stood there, they're you know within five feet of the of the event, and they don't spot it. It's it's their job to watch it, and at that moment, nothing else is happening. No, I, so I, I I was a bit surprised that he got brought back. I think when you look and view the footage, you think, okay. Fair enough. We, I mean, again, if that had been the other way around and Saracens just scored a try and they look at it, you'd probably go, ah, well, that's a good decision. But again, that um, was a TMO. Was that the TMO? TMO. TMO called yeah, that, definitely, yeah. Because Benaral was um, going apoplectic at the touch judge on the back post ready for the conversion. Yeah. Um, to, and Jamie George was trying going on about it, about him trying to, to, to confirm it. And then it must, then all of a sudden, um, just as Santa's about to take the kick, because he ended up taking the kick anyway. Mm. Um Dixon went and checked it, so it must yeah. have been a TMO. TMO well, that, and, yeah, that's, yeah. and that's that's just it's it's cute, really, isn't it? From I mean, Saracens are the most professional side out there. We all know that. Um, they will say things within earshot of the referee because they know that that'll get picked up by the TMO. Mm. You know, and it's just putting doubt in minds, isn't it? It's 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 that constant um, that they, they've got. Apparently, that I think they've got about fifteen captains. Have they um, Saracens? Because anyone can speak to the referee at any time about anything. <laughs> we'll come on to this. Jim, I'll tell you, we'll this is very this. frustrating that Russians, Russians, Snowy weren't uh, aren't on the pod tonight because us three were all in the ground. It would have yeah, been really handy to, to have, have them. somebody yeah. probably less more than Snowy because I don't think the, that what where Snowy was. Uh, I don't think Snowy's Russian is particularly great. So, um, <laughs> but, your, but, but your Ross watched call. it and he would. Yeah, your WhatsApp yeah. call Ed was like all hands to the pump, all hands to the pump. We need everyone in. We need everyone yeah. in this way. Yeah, I know. But Snowy's going to the Netherlands and Russ is there. Russ is at the house, and he so it's a bit of a problem. But anyway. Um, we so what was great though was you know you, you can in these situations you could feel really disappointed bit downhearted you know you're playing the best team in the country and um you just had a, a, an absolute killer there you've scored a try you really up and then boom taken away and then two minutes later absolutely brilliant backline move probably the best move we've played in about six weeks um Thorley from deep through a gap, old old fashioned Ollie Thorley try. Uh, I'll be honest, though, it wasn't a gap. He made that. He made, he made, the, made gap. the gap. But one thing, yeah, but this is what I was saying a minute ago, wasn't it? About running from deep and onto yeah, attacking yeah. yeah. the line. But um, what was funny though is uh, if you if you do watch the the replay of that try, do keep an eye out for Johnny May on the outside. Um, and I swear to God, if if Thorley hadn't scored that try, I think Johnny May might have killed him. Um, because all Foley had to do was literally pop it, pop it, pop it, pop it in May's yeah, over. But anyway, I, I thought he butchered that to the other shit at the time and then thankfully got over the line. Thankfully, yeah, uh, he had enough. He had enough power. Me, that was. But yeah, it was, um, but yeah, it's only when, it's only when afterwards and I'm watching the replay, I'm like, oh my word, May would have killed him. Um, but yeah, going but that, into... that was, that was timing wise for the crowd. Mm. That was perfect because it was, yes. I think, I was really pleased actually. Um, I thought the crowd had a lot more, you know, it was a lot bigger crowd than I was expecting for the game. Yeah, 13,500 um, was really good, wasn't it? Yeah, I was, I, was thinking, I was thinking it was going to be near a 10. So I was really, really pleased with that. And it, and I don't think that was a skewed number. I think that was actually, you know, the amount of people that had gone through the turnstiles. As well. Uh, well, it would have been slightly less, I think, actually, because, um, but probably a few, a few couple, a couple of maybe 40, 50 less, because there was a lot of seats around by me that were empty. Yeah, but what but I mean a lot is, of that's because the, the train line. Busy, 
trains yeah, were, the shed was busy, the stands looked full, and mm-hmm. that was just, you know, obviously the players are pissed off because they've just had a try disallowed. The fans are pissed off because we've just had a try disallowed. Yeah. And then to to do that from pretty much, you know, um, in our half, wasn't it? Pretty much the halfway line, kind of the first was maybe on the 10 metre line inside their half. Bang, straight through. And all of a sudden it's like, boom, and we still get the kick. So it's like a seven, you know, seven pointer. We're like, happy days, you know, it's, um, and I and I wonder whether maybe that is one of those few moments within the game that Saracen switched off. Yeah, they'd they'd um, they'd had the the try overturned, and they're like, brilliant, we can have a little bit of a breather. We had our kind of getting hyped up to defend the mall and all that sort of jazz, and then they just let their men- mental kind of concentration drop just for a split second. Bang, we've scored a try, and. I think that kind of that did did us for the half. Then we were kind of on that high, maintaining that good pressure for the rest of yeah. the half. Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, we'll come on to the incident at the end of the end of the first half in our second part of the pod. But um, I did feel going into that at halftime. I thought this is a game that's there to be won. Uh, I thought second half for the most part we played some really good rugby. Um, I mean, a little note just to Ben Meehan that um, bless him. I mean, we've given him stick, plenty of stick. But Loz, you mentioned. I think a couple of weeks ago that, you know, Ben Means our best nine at the moment. Um, Form-wise, yeah. Yeah, best nine at the moment, form-wise. Um, and that 50-22, probably the best 50-22 I've seen this season. Was it uh, a 22-5? <laughs> it, was, it was, yeah, probably more yeah. like an eight, 18-5. Because, I mean, he, but what what was great to see was that... He, he looked up and he saw that was there because when he actually kicks it, yeah. from the, he's almost level with their front row because he's gone, he's gone, he's seen this on down the blind side, and then realised actually I've got so much space ahead of me because I was a bit when he kicked it, I was like ah because I wanted us to run with the ball, mm. but we would never have scored from it because they had cover. That kick was just oh, it's wow. incredible. And again, the you know they got the crowd going. You could see how much it meant for him. You know he, he was pumping his chest and all the rest of it. Unfortunately, standard Gloucester, we up the uh, the results in play where we didn't really capitalise. And I think that's probably the story of the second half where we had, I'd say, probably more chances to score or more chances um, in the second half where we could have actually built a lead um, but failed to do so. Saracens really only had one or two chances and capitalised on those. I mean, obviously, again, we'll talk about I might as well talk about it now, actually, which is nothing to do with the other stuff, but it's about the booing of kicks uh, and Owen Farrell in particular. So, obviously, obviously, you know, Santi missed one kick, which unfortunately was right in front of the post. I think a lot of that was resulting from, I'm not entirely sure whether he was entirely comfortable after being nailed by um, Andy Goode, which we'll come on to in a bit. Not Andy Goode, uh, Alex Goode. Uh, Cross, if Andy Goode got, if Andy Goode did him like that, I think he would be still be in the ground now. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, but they but, were they were doing sh- they were doing shuttle runs underneath the post. Like, it's ridiculous. Like I mean, yeah, there the, the, the was oh. seven, the seventy second minute. Yeah, the, it was the seventy second minute that Claire Hodner mentioned to Carl that they were moving when yeah. kicks were being, and I'm like, mm. yeah, drove uh, me mad. Absolutely horrendous, and. The booing of the kicks. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. I, first time I went to watch uh, rugby with my dad, um, I think I might have even, I must have been about eight or nine. 
And I remember it booing. I remember going, whoa. And my dad saying, no, 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 you don't do that. We respect the kicker, blah, 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 blah. So I still maintain that. I don't boo. I don't jeer. I don't chant, shout, whatever, during kicks. It's, not, it's just not for me. I don't see the point. Mainly because it only actually works. It doesn't really generally do anything. No, apart from Friday night. Apart from Friday night, where it clearly... Got the noise head. and it got in Farrell's head. It really, you could tell he was perturbed. I mean, it was interesting that he was getting someone to, you know, um, uh, steady the ball because of the wind. Santi didn't bother with that. Um, yeah. You know, you could see there was something going on. Was thinking, there was well, one time right he, actually, he actually moaned at the guy who was holding the ball as well. That's the reason why he missed one of the kicks. Yeah. Um, yeah. But- he, he, was clearly, he was clearly not having a good day. No, and you know, we'll we obviously then finish with a good day, but we'll again move on to that later a bit. So the the booing of the kicks. Now that I think a lot of this was a a reaction to what we're going to come on to talk about in terms of Farrell, um, and a result from say a lot of Saracens fans moaning and whinging online about the how bore you know the the um, the uncouth. Uh, Gloucester fans booing and moaning and catcalling. I'm not being funny. It doesn't really have much of an impact and difference, I don't think. And actually, I, you know, I'd like to think that 21st, 21st century rugby, 2023, has got bigger problems to worry about than people booing kicks. Um, and I'm almost now of the other opinion. I'm not going to boo a kick, right? That's my personal thing. However, if Gloucester fans now as a collective go do you know what we're going to do this every single time Jim's definitely down for this but I get the feeling let's make it a real uh, you know make it intimidating make it make it a thing at Gloucester we boo kicks let's just get on with it let's just stop yeah. fanning around and making it a big thing every every time there's someone boos a kick let's just get on with it do it about mid, it was about a, a, a questionable penalty decision about midway through the second half wasn't there mm. and that, that that's the first one that in, and the crowd really got upset it got the ire of the shed um, and that's when he first got booed and then they were, after missed. that, that <laughs> he, he missed and I think that, that then led to perhaps the booing on the second kick more so than the decision because mm. I said, when, when, cause my, my wife turned around and said to me, she said, because she was with me, and said, oh, they're making a lot of noise. They don't normally do that. And I went, yeah, but this is Owen Farrell. He's kicked in France, God knows how much, and he's kicked at the highest level under the most pressure I'll ever have. I said, he isn't going to be phased by this noise. And then he went and missed. Shanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, and and the, then the next one, he done exactly the same from the booing, and then he turned around and he was moaning at his, uh, the, the chap who's holding the ball for him. Mm. Um, it, without going into a certain situation you want to talk about it at this precise moment, but he properly had lost his cool from that, yeah. and it, he didn't have that clear head that he's normally got when he does his kicking, and it it was clearly affecting him. Um, and and I um, personally think that's a good thing. That's like the sixteenth man, you know, yeah. like you like you say, Ed. Twenty twenty three, modern rugby, professional game. Um, you know, I've been to Munster and. You could hear a pin drop and all that. That's um, their thing. It doesn't mean that that has and, to be like yeah. that all over. And do you know what though? That, that's intimidating. Yeah, like, I agree. The, the level yeah. of silence because it's it weird. Proper, proper <laughs> quiet. That's actually a bit weird and scary. You feel like more pressures on you because, like, mm. literally, the the entire ground are staring at you, 
Whereas if there's a little bit of murmuring noise, people are having conversations quietly and like not not that interested. But I just I just think, and you're absolutely right, Lars, and it's happened a couple of times in the past, not to the extent it did on Friday, but it's happened before. Um, if the crowds disagree with the decision, then there's all this noise, isn't there? There's all this mm. booing and hissing and all that. And historically, that's just kind of been... <laughs> turned down to zero or, you know, 0 0.5 by the time the player's actually going to make the kick. Whereas actually it didn't, it kind of just stayed. And then other Got people, like, oh, hang on, I'm going to join in. And then obviously when it, like you say, it, it kind of worked in a way. Um, and then, and then it happened again. And I am, I, I don't think it's disrespectful. If anything, it's the opposite. It's I agree. showing that actually we think this guy's really bloody good at kicking. Yeah, we need to see something to try and, and put him and we need to we need as the sixteenth man to try and get underneath his skin, mm. um, try and roll him up. And I think if there's anything that the supporters can do to benefit their team, then they should do it. And I think that's the benefit of having a good home crowd. Yeah. And if um, and and I what I know there's a lot of traditionalists and there's you know a lot of people that would be no 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 you can't possibly, but I I would really love to have like an honest poll on it and just see who who likes you know and not that you'd say right fifty two percent have said we're going to make noise during kicks so that's what we're going to do now as a club um, it's not Brexit after all but <laughs> it's it's kind of yeah I. I it's really, it's going to be a really, really hard thing to change that kind of mentality, and I think yeah. it will only probably be those sort of natural occurrences, like it did on Friday, when there's a, a decision we don't like, there's a bit, there's a, a bit of noise that we wouldn't normally have, and then oh, it works, and then it may it's be not, carry it's on. Not the first it's, time, it's not the first time it's happened. When there are questionable decisions. Mm. Right, I don't like using the word dodgy. It's questionable decision. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but it is because it, ultimately it's our interpretation versus the referee's interpretation. And quite yeah. frankly, at one point the crowd were going, you don't know what you're doing. And I thought you got the decision absolutely bob on correct. So, you know, it's it's uh, own interpretation. But it's when there's a few questionable decisions got in the past have got the ire of the crowd, It's that then they booed the kick. I don't... I'm not going to say whether it's right or wrong because, as you said, it, it's it, it, it's tradition that you respect the kicker. But a lot of rugby's mean they are core values. And I don't think that is a core value. Personally, that needs to be upheld. No. Um, well, we can talk about some core values in the second half of the pod. Yeah, yeah. but you go, you go, you go to, you go to France, go to France. And, the, the, yeah. and they make a hell of a ride on their own kicks, let alone the yeah. opposition yeah. kicks. I mean, this is the thing. I, this is what I get frustrated about. Like, if it was a universal, every single country did exactly the same thing on all of this, right? Fine. We'll we'll, we'll just say on this particular occasion, Gloucester fans got it wrong. We didn't yeah. get it wrong because many other countries do different things to this sort of stuff. The Irish, particularly Munster, have this weird obsession with total and utter silence. Um, the French bang and shout and cheer, and it's all good fun, and that, and you get on with it. Um, the Argentinians make a row as well. Argentinians make a row, and 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 you know at the end of the day, it well, that's, that's why I thought it was funny when a couple of Saracens fans from the grandstand side 
was shouting when Santi was having a kick and was like, you do realise he's South American. He's quite <laughs> yeah, also just... The thing, I don't... I, I don't... Sorry to interrupt, Ed. I personally don't believe that the booing... Well, it clearly got in Owen Farrell's head, but I think it was probably more to do with the ball being held was more of an issue. Yeah. And similarly, the shuttle runs behind the post. Santi wouldn't have even seen them. He would have been looking at the... Uh, much higher up when he, he would have been looking at the ball... And then looking at where he wanted the ball to go through there, the post, he would not seen them doing the shot run behind the stump, uh, behind the stump, well, behind the post. Sorry, I think I think there's a lot of movement, and then you know all that kind of movement. It's going to affect your your, your your kind of looking at the ball and stuff when there's stuff going on in the background. It shouldn't shouldn't affect you, but maybe it does. I don't know. I, do, I mean, I think look in the day. I, I, my point about the whole my, my whole issue about the, the, the booing and the silence of, of the kicks is in 1923 when it was played as an amateur sport and it was seen as an upper class recreational thing and you know the likes of Harlequins and and uh, and the like um, you know gentlemen played the sport and it was a gentleman's game for gentlemen all this stuff it's not like that anymore it's a professional sport Gloucester's probably the most working class um, English uh, club in the country. We've got a very different background and heritage to that of Saracens. And, you know, it was interesting to see that um, a comedian on on Twitter, Hal Crussenden, um, who is a, a well-known Saracens supporter, was making similar complaints and, and moans, um, saying that basically, you know... Uh, he didn't get to the game, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't. In you know, he felt it was totally disrespectful, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, just because the England current number, the England fly off or England captain plays for you, doesn't give him any special dispensation from getting abuse. Probably gives him a chance to get more but abuse. Then he, but then he did go on to say that if he was in that situation, he'd have probably given more abuse than anyone in the shed did. Exactly. So you know, <laughs> it, it it does sort of defeat your argument there. But no, I mean, I do think. I understand. Look, if you were, if you are a rugby traditionalist and you come and you, in the nice possible way, you go to, you regularly go to Saracens, um, an atmosphere must be quite shocking for you um, because they don't have one down at the Stonex. Um, so you know, it must be quite a shock that you've got people shouting and, and maybe swearing and using a bit of the occasional bad language or or using gestures. Um, but that's Passion. because. Just because, yeah, we've got passion and an actual crowd at our, our our grounds. I mean, Christ, if we'd had the if we'd had the success that Saracens had in the last ten years, you wouldn't be able to get a ticket for blimmin weeks to a Gloucester game. But they've got they've had the best, you know, one of the best or arguably the best club side in the history of European rugby um, uh, in the last four, you know, five, six, seven years, and they can't, they still can't sell out the Stonex. So you know, anyway, right. Um, Final bit of the of this bit of the pod, which is the the kind of final couple of minutes, and maybe the uh, it, it's, it's probably since the Saracens game at the beginning of the season, really that lack of composure that was. I'm not blaming any individuals at all, but that lack of composure where several things went wrong, which then led to Owen Farrell getting the drop goal. Um, is that a concern, or are you just going to say that look, Saracens are a very good side. They're practiced to this. They do this because they're winners. I think it's a bit of a concern. We've got previous as well. It's not just that. Um, take wind it all the way back to uh, was it the Wasp game that we there was a Wasp and the Sale game a couple of years ago where we were quite away in front. It was Sale, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Sale. And yeah, they, they would have they would have won it if they got the kick at the end. 
Yeah. Y- yeah. Uh, and they, they, they were nowhere to be seen and it's called a couple of tries in the last couple of minutes to, mm. to almost pinch it. And then there was a wasp game as well at Kingsland where I think we did actually lose it. No, we won, um, we won both of those games, but Wasps, um, both of them very, very nearly lost. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. But even still, we have lost game. We have also lost games, which we should have won mm. from yeah. similar situations. I, I, I'm still not convinced we know how to close a game off. And I do think we panic when we have a, an opportunity to potentially win a close game like that. I know we closed out the game against uh, the previous week against London Irish, but there's a different calibre of opposition there. And yeah, from, yeah, um, yeah. L- London Irish are uh, down near the bottom. And as you said, Saracens are one of the best teams in Europe. So, um, and the thing is, when are we going to want to be closing out the games? In an ideal world, we want to be competing against Saracens at the end of the season on a regular occurrence. Yeah. And they did, even when, they, they, at no stage did they feel as though they lost that game, much in the same way they didn't feel like they'd lost the game at um, the Stoned Eggs earlier in the season. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's it's a concern, but it's not. A, it could potentially be a major concern because of the fact that we still are not closing out closed games. But we're also still very early in our journey. For me, I think once George Skivington's been here five years, then I think we can start um, being concerned if we haven't improved. Because we've, we, I said the other week, we were nowhere near winning uh, a, a title. Yeah. And I still don't think we're quite there, but we are certainly better than when he first came. Oh, yeah, the, uh, no doubt. No, no doubt that. I mean, yeah, certainly. These, things, t- these things take time. He, he said the other day uh, again, uh, that he'd been, he, it was his fault because he forced was trying to force the evolution of the team to be more all-court, I think is the phrase that was used, which is what Saracens are, where they basically stripped the, the game plan back to keeping it absolutely basic so they don't make the errors, and yeah. then tried to evolve it, and he's tried to push that forward a bit too quick, he said, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so I think, just look, we've just got to give him time. We're going to gain nothing. Gloss, the Gloucester blade book now is to either sack him or him to leave sometime in the next six months and us to have to start all over again right from the beginning. And I really hope that doesn't happen. No, and I, I don't really think there's any genuine cause for that. I think there was a two couple of bad results which um, we, we've, we've unfortunately uh, been on the back end of in the, in the last few weeks. Um, but I think overall, everyone can see the progression. It's just frustrating when you lose a game that, close and that tight at the end uh, right we, we, we Sorry, haven't Jim. lost that many games that were that close in fact I would say in the last three or four years we've probably totally changed from being the team that lost the close games to being the team that wins probably more than we lose um, Saracens are probably a team that win a lot more than they lose in, in regard that and but then you look at a team like Irish and my God, do they lose a lot of those games? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I think we've we've improved in that way. I mean, I think it was about fifteen years ago or something that Argen were up with about eight minutes to go, and just pick and drove f- for eight minutes to wind the clock down, incredibly disciplined, and then kick the ball off. And I was just watching it, going, "We are not going to get close to this ball because they don't want us to." And and I thought we, you know, we haven't learned from that. You know, when you're up, 
when you're up and it's it's a of, different it's a different thing last, though you can't do years. that though anymore Jim. I mean, so disciplined yeah yeah going off your feet and all that you can't you can't see the ceiling off, ceiling off which is what that was half the problem you couldn't actually get the ball um and um yeah, I, I just, I, I think sometimes, like, players don't switch between game plan. You know, they've got their, this is the, the game game plan, and then they don't realise this is the last five minutes game plan where actually we, we want to be slightly lower risk, don't give them the opportunity to do something special kind of scenario. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think generally... Um, yeah, but we've also lost games recently from being too negative. Oh, mm. oh, we have. And but I think in a in another couple of years, because we, yeah, we're always building. In another in another couple of years, um, you would think our entire squad plus our entire senior academy will have all been through the sort of George. This is how we're playing rugby kind of uh, game plan and. Um, hopefully, the the good players we've got are still going to be good, um, a little bit more experienced. The young players we've got will have all that experience, um, and I can't see in the next couple of years we're going to have, um, you know, those the the really good guys um, leaving and making our squad weaker. I can only see them getting more experienced and better. So, mm. and and you only have to look at results for the last couple of you know, well, basically all results this season. And the league has never been so competitive. Um, and even with Saracens being kind of at the top with a bit of a buffer, I don't think anyone would say that them having a home semi-final would be a given. No, no, I think I think you know Saracens are definitely the best team in the league. Um, I mean, I looked at the sale, I think they're second, clearly second. They look, I think they, they look, they those look two, good today. Those two look certainly top two, and then it really is a bun fight between six teams really between who, who's going to, six teams yeah six teams really realistically who's going to get in the top in the top four so um yeah but right we're going to pause there we're going to move on now to the fun um jim's going to get another pint he might need a couple to get through this um and uh we will be back to talk about uh and Loz is going to get for another seven up we'll be back to talk about <laughs> owen farrell carl dixon claire hodner jamie george and many, many other things. This is Jamal Ford Robinson, and you are listening to the Cherry Jam Podcast. How's that? Okay, so this is the moment you've all been waiting for. Um, Jim, how angry on a scale of 1 to 10 are you still? Five now. Oh, okay. I was expecting it to be sixteen or something like yeah. that. <laughs> so, should we do it in order? Let's try and do. It. Let's try and do this in order. Uh, so, my first thing for the thing was the Jamie George incident at the end of the first half. Um, Saracens got Saracens got a penalty. I think it was holding on or not rolling away. Gloucester. Um, so Saracens had a penalty kick for goal. Um, TMOs intervened and suggested, Claire Holden intervened and suggested that Jamie George has been acts of foul play. He's then based, I think it was at Lewis Ludlow, was on the floor and uh, I don't know who it was anyway, it was someone on the floor and um, Jamie George has got him by the neck and then kind of wrenched them 
to the side and upwards, which is clearly something you can't do. No, no matter what the actions are of the Gloucester player, you can't react, retaliate, react. That's a fundamental thing of, of rugby. Um, he gets uh, a penalty given against him. But what then happened, which I noticed as he was walking off, because I could see, I was just watching the players walking off. He got caught on the big screen as well. Um, and it was definitely remark- remarked on by a number of people on social media was that Jamie George was certainly speaking to uh, Carl Dixon. And I think certainly his words were definitely directed at him in a, in a, in a manner which would or should have resulted in further punishment. And it was also lucky for Jamie George that there were other players around because he was definitely going in to talk to Carl Dixon face to face. And it was only the other players that stopped him doing so. The fact that Dixon could clearly hear this. I mean, he, again, we all know that Carl Dixon needs a blimmin' hearing test at the best of times, but he could he clearly hear this. He chose to ignore it, I think, led to some of the problems that he had to deal with in the second half. Your thoughts on what should have happened to Jamie George in a nice, well, non-biased, not charitable way? Mine are, mine are really, really simple. Um, I saw the kind of neck roll grab um, on the big screen, but other than that, I was totally unaware of anything else. So I was pleased it was kind of a penalty reversal type scenario. But mm. that was that was my take on it. I didn't have any more. Fair enough. Loz? <laughs> yeah, not going to like this. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same as Jim on the frame. Okay. Sorry. No problem. This is where, again, it would yeah, be useful to have a snowy in Russia, wouldn't yeah, it? I didn't even see the uh, him going at Dixon at halftime on the big screen because when the halftime whistle went, that was it. I took I, don't pay any attention to what's going on. No. Well, to be fair, as I said, I, I, I am, we, we can move, maybe move on from this one a little bit quicker than I was thinking we would do, but I would be interested, people listening, if you were able to see it or you were down by the tunnel, it would be interesting to see your, hear your thoughts on that. So do make us aware of that on our on our Twitter. Um, right, moving on then. As I mentioned, I do think that then caused an issue for Dixon in the second half because there was a lot of chat and I'm not saying this is just Saracens. There were Gloucester players, Ludlow and a few other players. McWiggan gave a penalty away um, in the second half for chat. Um, now, do you think that's a result of, look, two teams going at it, it's a really close game, or do we think it's a result of the fact that Carl Dixon isn't necessarily strong enough to deal with it? Wayne Barnes and the like don't, don't take any nonsense when it comes to that. What are your thoughts? Well, Dixon did call the captains over at one point because the amount of appealing that was going on. And I thought it was rather ironic because it was only Saris players that were doing the appealing. Yes, I'm not saying Gloucester were angels. But no. as, as you said, you know, McGuigan got pinged for chops in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think he had an opportunity if what happened, I can only say if, you said it happened. So with what happened earlier, to have set his stall out and turned around and he could have said to him before the second half kicked off, he could have had Farrell over, Ludlow over. Anyone who chops us at me again goes off for 10 minutes. It doesn't yep. have to be. You can start with a penalty, it will be a penalty. And if it's deemed abusive or mildly abusive or inappropriate or the tone is inappropriate, then you can start raising it up to yellow. And then if it's uh, full, full blown Dylan Hartley, then obviously that's a red card. <laughs> um, but. There are, as you said, I think if it had been, I don't want to use a more experienced referee because the lad's been around a lot, been a referee for long enough, and he's been the scrum out at top level for long enough to know that that is how you've got to nip this in the bud mm-hmm. early on 
stamp your foot on the game. I don't mean by your decisions, but certainly if anyone is out of order, you you stop it straight away. Yeah, I mean Wayne Barnes yeah, is is very good at that type of thing. Where Luke Pierce is the same. That they don't even necessarily have to give a yellow card. They will penalise that player and the team and make it very clear that that is not acceptable. And the next time that happens, they will be sent off or they'll be binned or whatever. Marching 10 metres as well, isn't it? Yeah. And, 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 yeah, sorry. But those referees, Luke Pierce, Wayne Barnes, who I think are the top two in the country by, by quite a distance at the moment, they do it and they get praise for doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the... The media um, commentators, um, they will all go, oh, yeah, and they've really got a grip of this. They're not standing for any of that. Like you say, Lars, they've they've done it early doors. They haven't let it go on. First opportunity, anyone does anything out of order, it gets stopped. And um, and it makes – the thing is, it makes for so much better a game. If all this crap's done and dusted in the first 20 minutes, players know exactly what they can't get away with, yep. i.e. anything they shouldn't get away with, then the the rest of the game is so so much better for it, which is which is kind of why Yeah, what why that level of refereeing is the holy grail, isn't it? And there's not yeah. that many people that are that good, unfortunately. No. Um moving on to the next bit. Because uh, we're going to leave quite a bit for the final. We're going to leave quite a, a, a amount of space, I think, for the final issue. Um, was I can't quite remember exactly how many minutes was it? Sixty odd minutes. Carrera, Santi Carreras picks an incredible line. Through, yeah, comes through and puts the ball one side of Alex Good. Tries to run in the other side, and Good shoulder checks him. No attempt. I mean, it it was bad. It would have been a yellow card anyway on the basis that he was tackled without the ball. But it was a shoulder barge. Um, no arms. Luckily, no impact to the head or anything like that. Now, Loz and I may have different views on whether we think this is a penalty true or not. I think actually it probably should have been looked at a bit more detail. I think you could even argue it should have been a red card. Loz, Jim, your thoughts on... That incident, do you think it was right? It was a yellow card penalty, or do you think there should have been more sanction? Um, I would have loved to have um, heard a bit of commentary between the ref and the TMO regards try scoring opportunity. Um, and again, the the big screen didn't show me what I wanted to see, which was firstly, and I'll and I'll actually be my my initial response was, oh bloody hell. Has Good moved or not? Because I thought if 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 Good had just stood still mm. and kind of braced for impact, then I'm like, actually, you know, you're not going to stand there and say, oh yeah, run into me hard. You're gonna you're gonna kind of put the shoulder protect in, yourself. ready to brace for impact. Uh, yeah, protect yourself, absolutely. Um, but if there's any sideways movement and he's yeah. moved to to put the shoulder in, then obviously that's a massive yellow card. You can't do it. Um, but I never actually got to see an angle that proved it to me. But he did drop the shoulder. Yeah, he did drop the shoulder. Yeah, and jumped um, into it as well. Yeah, so I kind of want to see that. I want to. I, I actually do want to see that again, um, just for my own peace of mind. 
But what I, what I also want to see is I want to see where the ball went. Because if, if the chip went, you know, like went dead at 100 mile an hour, it's never going to be a try. But if the, if the kick was a really good one and it sort of sat up a couple of metres from the line and he could have dived on it and slid over, and well, that makes it a really, really clear, easy try scoring opportunity. So there's a couple of things that, they definitely should. They should look at these more. They they definitely should look at a lot more penalty try potential um, situations. I feel just in the game generally, um, and that was definitely one because there was no cover, um, and and like you say, Ed, it's a probable. Um, it's, it's you know it's it's a it's a probable try, not an almost so certain. So I've try just that, that, I've that, just uh, freeze framed the moment that Goode. Now bear in mind, Goode definitely steps across him. 100%. So if you look at that, that's the moment of impact. Um, this is one for our listeners, obviously. This is one for the listeners. So I'm, I'm showing the guys yeah. a, a, a clip of this, a freeze frame shot. The moment of impact, the ball is just outside the 22. There are three players behind Carreras by a good four, four or five yards. Gouda stepped across and stopped Carreras in his tracks. There is the only other players that Saracens have got back are on the wings. There is no way in a million years they are getting there. That, I'm sorry, is an absolute stonewall penalty try. Um, it doesn't obviously, you know, you can't excuse them. Carreras missed an absolute sister in front of the posts following on that. And, I, you know, again, we that would have put us... Um, uh, that would have put us, I think, five, ooh, that would have put us five points up, I think, at that point. Um, with 30 minutes to go. Um, but I, I, I take your point, Jim, and, I, and Loz, you know, you've, you've kind of got reservations about whether um, it, you could get... I, I understand, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those ones... I think there's enough things that could happen there that could mean that he doesn't score that try. Yeah. Well, we talked before we started recording as well. About, like, oh, it's, it's, it's outside the 22. Personally... Yeah. I don't think it matters where on the no. pitch something happens. If someone gets a clean line break, they could be in their own half, in their own 22. Mm. And if they're a winger and they get tripped up by a prop that's on the floor following a, them in mall or something, a ruck or something, and that they stick a leg out, they trip them up, and you kind of you work the angles out and you go, well, he's one of the one of, if not the fastest person on the pitch. And he's got 20 metres less to run than anyone else. Yeah, that's a probable try. Mm. It's a penalty try. And 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 the I'll go back again. The good referees will go, yeah, I don't care where it was, I care what happened. Yeah. And, and I, uh, they'll I, judge I, I it, see, they'll get... judge it based on its evidence, and they won't have some predefined parameters that they have to work within. Um, for it to be a certain thing, like mm. oh well, he didn't really mean to do that, so I can't give a yellow card for it. My, like my issue, my issue with it, is, I think, because you were saying about if the ball's gone dead or whatever, mm. you found it and it's in good position. I think for me, the reason why penalty tries are given when players are taken out chasing the ball is then all they have to do is flop on the ball over the, the try yep. line and then they score. I get that. The probability is. 90, oh, I don't want to give a percentage. Uh, uh, there's an almost certain probability that he's going to score the try. That one there, the ball is not going over the try line. Well, he didn't have to just drop on the ball. He either had to kick the ball again and get a, not overkick it at full power or gather the ball and then run the ball in. For me, 
there is enough that could complicate that that could go wrong. That the, and those players, <laughs> fair enough. He, yeah. he, but he didn't players, get the chance they, they, to loss. He didn't yes, get the chance. Yes, to. I get that. But what I'm trying to say is, there were three players chasing back. He had to gather that ball in the process of slowing down to gather that ball. They could have tackled him. Yeah, that's why I don't think it's a penalty try because there's enough things that could happen that could have stopped it. If a penalty try had been awarded, going back to that about where we said about the um, the Malins try at the start, a similar thing. If a penalty try had been awarded against us, then I would have gone apoplectic over it because there was just so much doubt still there as to whether the try would have been scored or not. It was a great break. Don't get me wrong; it was Santi what we'd expect him to do, or we'd come accustomed to him doing. But there, for me. Not a penalty try, I'm afraid. Fine, fair enough. Do you think it should have been a red? <sighs> no, no, I don't. No, fair enough. Okay. I mean, but then I, I haven't I, seen it. I haven't seen it again. I would, I would, I would encourage yeah. you to see it again. No, I, I know it was sort of a player. We're not uh, uh, reminiscent of a sort of thing that a player we're not allowed to mention. It's precisely what I'm you want to discuss it a bit later on. Style of tackle. Right, it's coming up, mate. It's coming up. Uh, <laughs> I'm not 100% convinced that it was a red card. It's cynical, cynical, but not dangerous. Exactly. Fair enough. Okay. So, I think there's a bit of a thread in relation to uh, those two events. So, this this incident and then the incident that we're now going to move on to, which is Farrell still not being able to tackle or do things properly um, with his arms. Um, and it, in both cases, I felt that Carl Dixon particularly was very, very keen to be quick and uh, uh, and keep the game flowing, keep the game moving, which at, at a detriment to the actually getting the correct decision at the end of the day. So let's go to the full Farrell moment now. Um Gloucester have got a ruck on the 22. Um, ball is carried and uh, Farrell, as Farrell does, basically shoulders uh, Jack Clement in the face. We then, um, I think, proceed up the pitch um, and it eventually gets the... We, we eventually get a... There's a line out um, just outside the 22, I think, uh, of Saracen's... Um, following this 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 phase of play, important to note the ball has not gone out. We've not had to restart the game at all. It's the same, technically, if we're going to call it phase of play, which is what Carl Dixon came back to later uh, in his discussions with Claire Holdnett. At the point when the ball is kicked out, Farrell takes a knee because he's, funnily enough, hurt his shoulder tackling somebody in the face, and. Um, Claire Hodnett brings the, uh, to the attention of Carl Dixon that there's been foul play. And this is where it all starts to go wrong and where Carl Dixon has had, had again, an absolute shocker. Um, he's asked Claire Hodnett to say, was it in the same phase of play? Which is a very ambiguous term, which has actually no bearing in terms of what this decision would be. Claire Hodnett is saying, it, it, I think a bit... and doesn't quite understand or doesn't seem to get what he's referring to because clearly it's not in the phase of play because there have been a couple of phases in terms of rucks and other bits of play between when the incident occurred and when the ball was, uh, when the ball was out and the game had to be stopped. 
the technical definition is that the game it's it you can only go back um to a to a point of foul play where as long as the game hasn't been restarted which in this case it hadn't been restarted the the it was the same bit of play same period same period of play Carl Dixon waves away any 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 anything there and what was interesting actually again only saw the replay of uh, the shoulder onto Clement's head maybe once or twice in the stadium. Yeah. Very, very brief. Doing? Very, very brief. Well, it took a long time. I mean, again, we'll come on to maybe something around this in a bit, but is this just simply a case out of Carl Dixon, one, not being good enough, Claire Hodnett Claire not being strong enough? Does she need to be stronger? Is that the job of a TMO? And at the end of the... And then the final thing is, look, Owen Farrell should not have been on the pitch at the end of that game. That at least was a yellow card. Realistically, is a red card. He will be cited. He will be in front of a tribunal with Bicket, with Biscuits next, uh, next week. He's already been, He's already got off numerous times with the same tackling technique or lack of technique. Gloucester don't get that point back. What's the... what? You know... The only people then, therefore, who are left to be um, punished, if you're going to have this, are the officials. So what what do we no, do? No, so- Gloucester, Gloucester are going to get punished because all the teams that Harrison play won't be playing against Owen Farrell, who is, without any doubt, a fantastic number 10. So other teams are going to benefit from Clement getting chinned. So what's the what? Let's let's just. I'm gonna unleash you two now. Then, Loz, do you want to go before Jim or do you want to go after Jim? No, I'm gonna rip Jim apart. Right, Jim, <laughs> Jim. Right, please go ahead, mate. I know you've been building up for this for most of the weekend. No, no, I'm 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 only a I'm only a five anger now, so it's fine. Um, I just cannot comprehend how inept a TMO is. When they get given a question, like, was it the same phase? And they don't come back with, immediately, I'm not quite sure what you mean there, but it's irrelevant. Simple as. It's foul play, and we need to look at it. You need to look at it. That's it. That's all you need to say. And to be batted away with, oh, well, no, we're moving on. You know, you, you, you get it when when the the four officials are all looking at the big screen together and you've got two touch judges that are being super quiet, not saying anything, and the referee is saying, yeah, well, for me, I can see mitigation because of blah, 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 and I'm going to give a yellow. And the TMO is, I think you should look at it again, right? So you get some TMOs, right, that will not take no for an answer, until they really have to take no for an answer. Claire Hodner didn't even get an answer. She didn't even go anywhere. And that is just incredibly weak and very, very disappointing. And I'll be honest, I did call her out before the game had even kicked off and said, oh, that's not very good. I don't think she's much cop as a TMO. So there we go. It's not just bitter. But, it sounds yeah, a I, little bit bitter, but we'll go. Dixon, Dixon's. Go on. Yeah, Dixon's. I can kind, I think I can kind of yeah. get. I, I and this is where maybe I'm not quite as angry with um, Carl Dixon as I was 
initially because if he didn't see it, he didn't see it. I mean, he's very good at not seeing things and not hearing things. But if he didn't, if he didn't see it, then there's not a lot he can do. And if he didn't realise it was as severe as it was, and as you alluded to, Ed, it will almost certainly be, you know, a red card ban. Um, then he's like, I just. I've been given direction that we want to keep play going. We don't want to have as many stoppages. But clearly when there's a tackle that's as illegal as that, you need to have a stoppage. It needs to be looked at, needs to be dealt with. And the fact that he was on the pitch at the end, that was incredible. And, and at the time, I didn't really realise because like you say, we'd only been on the big screen half the time. Um, I wasn't aware that the tackle was quite as horrendous as it was, save for the fact that my pockets going ping, ping, ping with everyone moaning about it on um, WhatsApp groups and social media saying how horrendous it was. It's difficult actually to uh, disagree too much with what Jim said there. Um, one thing I do think is a point of law. I don't think it... So Nigel Owens has explained quite well on Twitter that it doesn't matter how many phases of play have gone, as long as there hasn't been another restart. So... yeah. It does make you wonder what the TMO was doing to not know when abouts that had happened. And yep. it also leaves me in that other uncomfortable position with the fact that it's been raised to our attention basically by BT Sports commentators. Um, if you've not, if you're game, okay, that game was televised. And we do get quite a few games that are televised, which can be positive and negative, obviously, depending on what, what's occurred. But I don't see how. Should, not just she, sorry, how a TMO can be wired up to the television uh, television coverage other than being able to speak to the TV director to ask for certain angles. They should not be able to hear the commentators because if you are if you have got a game which isn't televised, you've either got an advantage or a disadvantage depending on what the situation is. Um, That's one point on it. Secondly, As I think if it comes back to a, uh, if there's been dirty play, I think that the game should go back even if the game has restarted and if the TMO then happens to just see something, uh, replays, even if the game has restarted, if there's been foul play that is that that bad, it should go back to it regardless, Mm -hmm. even if a minute and a half ago and what happens if goes, oh, can we have a quick look back at that? And the, and the, 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 the um, people dealing with the technology for a non-televised game turn around and said, hang on a minute, oh, oh, we're struggling to load something up here. Yeah, okay, right. Oh, now we got it, but then there's been a restart telling me that we can't then go back to that. I don't yeah. think that's correct either. And we don't want to be hanging around, hang on, guys, time off. Three and a half minutes later, right, they got the kit working again. Well, uh, uh, oh, it was nothing. You know, no. I mean, I would be happy with a with a card at, at half time. So, so 30, 35, 36 minutes, you're having that that technical problem, and you go right. We're going to look at it at half time. Yeah. And then second half, they come out with fourteen men because the referees had a chance to look at it during the break. Yeah. What's wrong with that? It makes it it's a more accurate game. That's what we want, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's just so frustrating that if you'd had a different TMO, you'd have had a different result. And that's where it's, that's, that can't be right for me. Um, I, well, the, okay, yeah, yeah. That was, oh, I don't know what phase it was. It was a sort of quality of refereeing we had to put up with 
when the game first went professional. The game's come a long way from that, both in the game itself and the quality of refereeing. And that just wasn't... It just... I must admit, in the game... Uh, 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 that's during the... Watching it live, I didn't know what was going on because of where I was sat. I hadn't... It was at the far end of the pitch from where I was. I was relying on the big screen. And I... Because of the fact that it was, it's only since I've seen it at home, it was a bit zoomed out on the big screen for me to be able to see from where I was sat effectively. Um, I didn't really notice it at the time, but I did turn around and say to my wife about, uh, uh, we've got to watch a drop goal here. He's going to drop back into the pocket, and sure enough, he did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do, I'd say all of that on board, Lars, and, I, and I, agree with, I agree with both you and Jim that I think certainly... The TMO in this instance has not done their job adequately. However, I still come back to, regardless of if the TMO has been more forceful, um, it all stems from Carl Dixon is not interested. The foul, you know, at the end of the day, it's an act of foul play. Now, maybe, one thing I would say, maybe. Claire Hodnett probably should have said, out of foul play involving the head. Because that would then... Red, potential red card. Or, well, just say, you know, head contact, act of foul play. Because that then pricks your ears up if you're Carl Dixon and says, oh, hang on a minute, we've got all these directors around head contact. I better look at this. Rather than the sort of fairly ambiguous act of foul play. Now, that's the one area I, I'm going to give him some amount of credit. But that's it. Because as far as I'm concerned, he is, at the end of the day, he's the, he's the final arbiter of the game. It's his responsibility to, when when he's given information like that, it isn't about how quickly the game is going to proceed. It's not about that I want he wants to get back and watch um, something on telly or he's got something in the oven or whatever bloody excuse he would have come out with, the fact he wants the game to carry on. It was the 76th minute, 77th minute, the game is on the line. Two teams have battled it out for all this time. It's incredibly close. It's tense. The atmosphere is boiling, right? Take your sodding time. The other thing, going back to the TMO on this as well, um, um, she turned around and said she didn't know whether it had been um, in a different passage of play from what Carl Dixon had said. Bloody Owen Farrell. She'd just seen Owen Farrell do the tackle, and he's been injured. It's yeah. all game hasn't gone from when he's having his treatment because he's having his treatment. Yeah. So all of this, all of this comes back to the fact that um, Carl Dixon has again shown he's not strong enough, not good enough, in my opinion, to be a premiership referee. I also did not like the way that he threw Claire Hodner under the bus on Twitter um, I think it might have been Andy Goode put a tweet it was, out. Yeah, it was. And and and, and, and Carl and Carl Dixon liked the tweet, basically saying that it was the question. It was the uh, not knowing about the phase of play. I, I'm sorry, Carl Dixon, who is renowned for doing this sort of stuff. When people tweet him and put stuff out, he likes all the posts because you know he's a bit of a smart ass and the rest of it. He's he thinks he's the big man. I'm sorry, you're not good enough. Not many. I don't know any rugby supporters that think he's good enough. People quite rightly are uh, angry um, about this incident, but it's not just this incident. It's 
several incidents. It's several well, well, matches. Someone said to me that he was put on this game because this game was on telly and he was under the spotlight because of the Marler incident. Marler incident. Previous. Well, that wouldn't surprise me. I'm and like, the fact, yeah. well, thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks for that. The fact that the Marler incident, again, we don't want to go back to it. We've done it twice already. But the Marler incident is a, it, it, we've mentioned it, Jim has said, it puts you in a, you in a spotlight and the fact you are an ex player refing your old club, right? You could recuse yourself, but no, fair enough. You don't want to do that. You want to you want to make sure that people know that you are a, above that level of thing. It doesn't have any impact on your career. Chris White managed to uh, referee the bloody World Cup final. Never refed a game of Gloucester. Doesn't it? You know, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't like to criticise referees to the, this extent generally because I feel that it's an incredibly difficult job. It's an incredibly challenging position to be in. The spotlight is is immense. You know, you're being second-guessed by some of your own colleagues. I mean, the TMO is technically second-guessing a lot of your own decisions during the game. It's incredibly difficult. You've got a lot of stuff to manage. Rugby's probably, in terms of a refereeing job, rugby is probably the most difficult out there because there's so many aspects, there's so many but technical elements you, of it. You mentioned the TMO yeah. uh, and, you know, potentially the, the assistant referees running the touch as well. Um, I think the best referees in the world take huge amounts of information and, and have huge amounts of faith and trust in yeah. their team. And I don't think Carl does. No, I don't think he does. I, I, think, I, I think no. I think he's one of those that I'll I'll run it my way and only tell me what I want you to tell me if I ask you. Yeah, and again, the issue being here is that worked maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago when it was the TMO was a very, very minor part of the game it was basically checking if a try had been scored um if or if a player had been knocked into touch that was pretty much the only thing that tmos ever got involved in it's a different game now you have to work as a team we've seen this nigel owens wayne barnes luke pierce they all all of them use that as you say use the other guys and and also you know thank them and sort of encourage them and and all of this sort of stuff and I've never felt that that's the case with Carl Dixon. It seems to me that it's his show, you know, it's I'm the main man. I might be totally misreading it, but my impression from amongst, if you go on line and look at rugby supporters across the board, there's very few, I mean, you know, referees don't get a lot of love generally, but you look across the board, there's certain referees, look, even if you don't like the decision, you respect the referee because, look, you can maybe you can see it's a 50-50 decision, you can see two ways. Carl Dixon... You look on social media, not a huge amount of praise or love for him. Even the Saracens fans, it tells you everything you need to know about how bad he was on Friday night. Even the Saracens fans were highly critical of his performance. Um, you know, a number of them quite literally, you know, would, would openly admit, and I've seen this openly admit, that, that Farrell shouldn't have been on the pitch at the end. Um, and they were felt that actually and a lot of the decisions that he'd given against Saracens were totally out. You know, they were totally ridiculous. So, um, I think the best we can say is let's just hope Carl Dixon isn't another a ref that King's own this season because if he is, I can imagine the shed is going to be pretty merciless. Um, so, in a way, maybe let's hope he is going to ref one more game at King's own this season. <laughs> um, right. Thank you very much, guys. I'm going to finish uh, with a go on, Jim. Can sorry, I mate. just say one more thing. Yes, please do. Um, because that obviously that final kick that pissed me off. Because we'd lost, <laughs> we'd lost, we'd lost the game. 
that maybe we could have won. We def- I think a draw would have been I think a draw result. would have been a fair result, yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and I think if it had have finished a draw, all the shit with Farrell staying on the pitch wouldn't have been a thing, potentially. Um, I mean, it still would be a thing, him getting cited tomorrow, but that's... Yeah. Um, but what I really, really didn't like, and I think goes against all the all the you know good that rugby brings and all the all, all the all the best practice and you know and all that you know rugby is better than that rugby values sort of stuff the, yeah was was the was the the Saracens team coming across to the shed one of the guys giving it the giving it the biggins and and I was like yeah, I get it. I get it. You're chuffed and you're telling us to shut up because you've won the game in the last second. Well done. A Mako Vuna fucking polar running from the blooming subs bench the full width of the pitch to give a massive fuck you to the shed. I'm like, no, mate, that's be magnanimous in victory, please, because that is not rugby value. Well, the thing about Saracens is. They're a brilliant team. They win most of the time. They win a lot of trophies. But they're not a likeable bunch. They're not a likeable club, generally. I mean, let's be honest, no one really likes them because of the cheating. I find... I like like some of the players. You know, even we talked about earlier about Maro Tojo, the fact that he is... A pain in the ass, but God, I love him. He's a brilliant player, and I'm glad what? he's Eng- I'm glad he's an he, England player. He's, oh he's like Richie McCaw, isn't he? he? Got he got away with murder that mm. game. He was being thrown across the line out, hands all over our jumpers, loads of stuff, and he got away with it. And I, I think he gets away with it because he's an incredibly intelligent chap, yeah. and he, he he talks to the referee. And I moaned earlier about people that aren't the captain talking to the referee, yeah. but he he does it in an Alan Wynne Jones kind of. You know, I'll talk to you, but I'm doing it respectfully, and you'll allow me to because because of the, my mannerisms and that sort of thing. And you're absolutely right. You know, he is he's one of the best players in the world. Yeah, and it's really really annoying. Another <laughs> another one who's really really good as well is Ben Earl. And yeah, he's got one of those faces you just want to punch, doesn't he? But he, he's such a fabulous player. Brilliant player. And, and you know, they've got lots of very good players. I don't like the whooping, hollering, the whole wolf pack stuff. I think it's bloody nonsense. It obviously works, but I don't like it. I think it's nonsense. I don't like that, how it's creeped into rugby generally. Um, but I do want to say one final thing for the Saracens fans. The vast majority of them, like most, like most fan bases, are fine. But I do find Saracens fans up there with a few other select clubs as being some of the most arrogant and some of the most nauseous, shall we say, as we said, as I mentioned earlier, if Gloucester had won the trophies that Saracens had had have in the last 10 years, you wouldn't be able to get a seat or a space in a King's own for love and the money. And yet I do find it ridiculous that now, even after all this success and all this other stuff, they still can't sell out the stadium. They still take a mini bus up to King's own because that's all they can get in, the, in terms of their crowd. I find it... And then to start all the crowing about the noise and the rest of it, just jog on. No one, no one, you know, when you were down the championship, no one missed you. 
Um, and and I'll be honest, if we could take if we could bring back Worcester and Worcester and dump them off, that would be my I'd be happy with that. Yeah. But then I am being bitter and resentful here. So there we yeah. go. Well, anyway, do you, know, do you know what got me from a probably a six point five to a five before we started recording? It was rugby tonight. Yeah, and it was uh, it was Burns drop goal, and they showed it quite a few times, and I'd kind of forgotten. Really, I mean, mm. I remembered that Burns got the drop goal, but I forgot what because Farrell's there trying to charge it down, and his face was fuck. We've just lost the final, and I <laughs> love that. Um, but it's also reminded me how fallible they are. Yeah, that I, I think even even Leicester, who lost again this weekend, you know, they could be in that top four. It shows you just how decent coaches because Leicester have lost two quite con- convincingly mm-hmm. now. Uh, Borthwick's left. Yeah, obviously after yeah. they beat us because you know. Yeah. But, well, yeah. um, so I'm just, I'm just sort of hoping, really, it is blind hope, but that the the dynasty of Saracens and being that as fantastic as they are, I think. Malins is leaving. They've got a couple of other players leaving. It's going to be one of those kind of situations, I think, where their their wonder squad become a little bit more normal and they they get beaten by the likes of London Irish on a, on a regular basis. Yeah. I think certainly after the World Cup, it'll be interesting to see next. So not, so not next season, the season after, um, if we start to see a bit of a drain away from those top England players, because they now are going to struggle to find a, a payday, shall we say, in England, but they yeah, might still get there in France. Yeah, so that'll yeah, be interesting the, to see. The players are in their 30s then, aren't they? And you just exactly. Atoji well, Otoj- could be the best player, best paid player in the world, couldn't he? Yeah. Mm. If you want... Earn a fortune in could go and earn an absolute fortune in Japan, because he would have mm. done Yeah, exactly. Um... Just if they could find... win us the World Cup first, that would be wonderful. That would be lovely, yeah. yeah and then, and then we'd love them. We'd really, really love them. At this point, Jim, with how bad England have been, I'd be happy with just a Six Nations win. I mean, you know, that'd be nice. Uh, anyway, um, the final thing I'll just touch on this weekend, which is um, not related to the Premiership, it was related to the to the Championship. And Coldy... Yes! I mean, wow. Coldy... Pulled off an incredible victory over Ealing, uh, at, uh, 26-24, something like that. Last play of the game um, in the corner. Um, it's, we won't go over the old ground about how ridiculously under, underused and underexposed the the, uh, the championship is. But um, there is a... I will tweet out on, on our Cherry Jam uh, um, Twitter the, the last play... Um, because it's just lovely, and it's the kids behind the goal. If you haven't seen it, the kids behind mental, mental, yeah, <laughs> absolutely mental, and it's brilliant. And I think, um, yeah, definitely, definitely gave a chance to watch that. And one other final thing, which was um, Sam Anstey, bless him, on Twitter. If anybody hasn't seen this already, please do have a look. Oh, um, what a legend of a man! Yeah, so bless him. He's a very, very, he's a very devout and and avid listener, and and you know he's off. He's always sending stuff in every so often to us and and suggesting things. Um, and it is very much appreciated. But it was his 
I don't know where he was going or what he was doing, but he was in a van somewhere um, and he decided to start reeling off some ideas for uh, for some songs. I'll be honest, Johnny May, I think we can all get behind that one. That's a nice and easy the Chris, one. The Chris Harris one was the best. <laughs> what was it? He, he plays in, oh, Chris Harris. Uh, oh, Chris Harris. He plays in Cherry and White. He makes Scotland a little less shite, which again, yeah. <laughs> very good. I think it's a difficult one for the shed on the basis it doesn't quite scan. Um, it doesn't quite scan. But yeah, I think there's, I, I would encourage anyone, please do keep doing this. Sam, if you want to uh, have a few more ideas. Oh, no, not with please, please don't, Sam. <laughs> no, no, but no, that, that is a proper, because I think that's something we need. We, we absolutely need mm. um, more chance. And people, there's probably been, you know, thousands of really good chants over the years that one man and his dog can't can't get going. No. And we've almost we've almost got um some some route of getting people to know what's um what's being said. We can encourage some more sing songs and people always moan at our songs, don't they? Oh Gloucester, Gloucester, how'd you come up with that? It's like, well, let's come up with some more and let's get them out there. We can get them to the club. We can get the club, put it on the big screen. We can do stuff. We can actually get it out there. Let's just make it fun and silly and, and enjoy it and 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 get the, you know, get behind the old, get behind the players. And, you know, there's plenty out there. I, do you know what? I think the one I think who probably deserves one more than others because just the amount of stick he gets is Ben Meehan. And I think that would be nice. If someone could come up with a, a Ben Meehan one, that would be nice. Yeah. A Ben Meehan 50-22 some, something, yeah. Yeah, Ben Meehan doesn't rhyme with fifty twenty two, does it? No, it doesn't. That is the problem, and we are relying on people who haven't got any ability in this to to write this stuff. I mean, there's people at, at Liverpool and at Man United. Their literal sort of thing that they do is within the fans' forums and within the uh, within the sort of fan community is to create songs. I mean, some of them are horrendously awful and get driven by the wayside. But what is good when they do take hold? Whole things come out of it. I mean, let's not forget that bloody song by Gala, Freed from Desire, that all started from one lad in Wigan singing a song about um, a division, uh, the then Division Two striker. Um, so, you know, it's now played at every single football game in the world, including the World Cup. Um, and, you know, Gala is living a, a best life, earning all the royalties. I do think something come up with... Um, getting Fraser Balmain into that tour by Genesis. <laughs> Again, we have to know the song, Lars. <laughs> right. Do a bit of homework, Lars. Come back to us with some. Uh... <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll debut. We'll debut this next week, Lars. Good idea. Wants to stop recording. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Um, guys, thank you very much. It's Lens the next weekend. It's a free hit. We don't know what what side we're going to put out. We don't know. You know, obviously they're not. They're not going to have Sexton. Who knows? Um, but let's um, let's hope. I it's, probably uh... don't have Sexton either. <laughs> oh no, sorry, that's something else. <laughs> let's um, let's just hope it's a closer game than it was over there, and uh, we might even get a point. That'd be nice. Thanks mm. so much, guys. Appreciate it. Have a lovely evening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you yeah. for, for letting me vent. I'm down to a four. <laughs>